Mindfulness Mode 199. I know myself better by being somebody else. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Last time I interviewed someone who's passionate about helping men be better men with relationships, with themselves, in any way possible. If you haven't heard Tim Matthews on episode 197, you might want to go back and check it out. My guest today is an author, keynote speaker, founder of the Rockin' Productivity Academy. He's host of the 5am Miracle podcast and author of a book of the same title. He's a marathon runner, passionate, raw, vegan, and all-round mindfulness kind of guy. Jeff has a degree in theater and psychology and lives in Nashville, Tennessee with his wife and their pet pug named Benny. I met him at PodFest in Orlando, and believe me, he's a great guy, high energy, lots of fun. Today's guest is Jeff Sanders. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm really excited today to have Jeff Sanders on the line. Hey, Jeff, are you in mindfulness mode? I think I am. (laughs) That's good. So, Jeff, what does mindfulness mean to you? Uh, that's a great question. It's it's a it's a buzzword that's been you know thrown around a lot the last few years. But I'm definitely one of those who, as kind of a type A guy, I've tried to be more mindful in the sense of intentionality and self awareness. I think the last few years of my life, especially like the the more things that I do, uh, the more I feel this need to have awareness of what I'm doing and to be mindful of my daily activities. Mostly because if I'm not mindful or aware of what's going on, I feel like I get caught up in the, all the details and the busyness of life. And so I think if anything, I am desperately trying to slow things down, which to me is a big part of that as well, uh, because I've definitely, you know, I drink a lot of coffee, I do a lot of stuff, and then I find myself overwhelmed pretty fast. So for me, being mindful really is, you know, slowing things down, being intentional, and being really self-aware. Well, I know from your book that you really believe in habit and creating routines. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the routines you've created for yourself. Sure. I think that some of the you know best routines that I have include waking up early. It's one of the key things that I, I do and have done now for a few years uh, because I find so much value in being able to really dominate my day before breakfast. It's kind of my tagline that I like to throw around uh, because I like to wake up early and, and do important things before the day really gets too busy. And so, you know, one of my key habits is waking up early. Another one then is making sure my morning routine is really focused on energy production so that I have as much energy as possible as the day progresses. Everything from drinking a liter of water when I first wake up uh, to going for a morning run, uh, having a, a, a smoothie for breakfast. It's, you know, there's those key habits that allow me to have more energy and, and to be really prepared when the day begins. So what is in that smoothie that you drink, Jeff? My smoothies tend to be mostly fruit, so I'll have, uh, te- it usually is around like 10 bananas as, as a good smoothie for me because I have a big Vitamix blender that I fill with, you know, it's got water, bananas, uh, some supplements usually, uh, frozen berries. It's really just whatever I have on hand that uh, is fresh and tasty. And what are those supplements? Um, it kind of varies depending on my uh, what I've bought recently. <laughs> I yeah. think right now I'm having one that's called Vega, which is a, a protein supplement. Uh, I don't tend to do a lot of protein though. It's mostly things that are like uh, greens or other you know nutrients that I may not have enough of in my diet. So it varies throughout the year. I know I add flax to my smoothies. Do you ever add that? I have in the past. Right now I'm using chia seeds, which is you know has uh, some similar benefits there, which is really good as well. 
And that's funny because I add those two things, chia seeds and flax. I grind them up first, then I throw them in the smoothie, and then I usually uh, put some banana in there and a little water, and that's usually pretty much all I put in there. But you have 10 bananas. Man, that's mega. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm well known in my podcast for uh, for having a lot of bananas every day. You know, but, but probably like four, four or five years ago, I began to train for a lot of marathons, mm -hmm. and I would have as many as 30 bananas a day uh, during during training uh, because they were just like you know it was a mega food that gave me all the energy I needed to to keep going. So yeah, I love bananas. <laughs> and you love running, obviously. Let's talk about that. You've done a number of marathons. What got you into it? Um, really, I started running back in college. I had studied abroad for a semester in Europe and I came back and I was uh, very unhealthy. We'll put it that way. I, I needed a lot of, of work. And so I thought that I would run just to kind of get myself back on track. And over the course of a summer, I began to run every day and I got up to five miles a day by the end of that summer and kind of got hooked on it. I realized I really liked to run. And so one of my friends and I decided we were going to train for a marathon together. It took me about a year and a half from there to actually train and complete it. But at that point, I was just really addicted to feeling healthy and feeling energized. And so it became just part of my life at that point. And so tell Mindful Tribe, how long is a marathon? I should know this right off the top of my head, but you tell us. It's 26.2 miles. And so it's uh, it's definitely a long way to go. Uh, it's one of those distances you can't just fake it. You have to actually train for it. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of people at races you'll see that will show up with no training and try to do something. And they're the ones that have paramedics by their side by the end of the race. Oh, so I guess. So what are the biggest benefits? Now, you talked about how you got in shape, you got fit, but I'm sure there's more than that to it. Oh, certainly. I think that one of the, the greatest things for me with running is like is my mental state. You know, with the idea of being mindful, I think that running plays a huge part in that uh, for me, especially because it's one of the few times in my day when I'm running, I'm not doing anything else. Like it's the one thing that like, it's, it's a sole activity. There's no distractions. It's just me and the trail or me and the road. And I find that that is just a phenomenal way to get uh, my mental faculties in line, especially because you think about a marathon, you can complete a marathon based on physicality alone if you're in decent shape, but you really can't do it well unless you have the, like the mental stamina to keep going. I've also done ultra marathons in the past, which are even further than marathons, and you can definitely not complete those unless you're very mentally tough. And so it takes a lot of mental training to do those things well. How long is an ultra marathon, Jeff? Uh, it can vary. It really, the, 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 it's basically anything beyond a full marathon. And okay. so I've run ones that are, you know, 31 miles. I've also run one that's 36 miles. And there's others that go on that are 50 or 100 or 120. Like there are some mega, like long distance running you can do. Uh, but for me, it's, it's it's been a little less than those. So do you run every single day? No, I tend to run probably three or four days a week. Mm -hmm. And then I uh, mix that in with some weightlifting. Oh, I see. Okay, well, let's talk about your diet. I know that you're into vegan eating. Tell me how you got started with that and what are some of the benefits? Sure, that's kind of a long story. I'll make it as short as I can. But the, the basics is that I, uh, I got married seven years ago. My wife and I went and got a, a new puppy a few months later. And we took our new puppy to the pet store. And the pet store owner asked us, like, what food do you want to buy if you're a new puppy? And I realized, I was like, wait a minute, I want to buy him the best food you guys have. And so we bought this, the, the, the high end, like, you know, most expensive food they had for my dog. And then I realized in that moment, I don't do that for myself. Like I don't eat the best food that's available. And that was a huge mistake. I thought of my part, I should be eating better to be healthier. And so I went on this mega journey to read and watch documentaries and just absorb as much as I could about nutrition and health. 
and I found a lot of similarities and patterns among people that I thought were the healthiest and that tended to be they ate less meat. And so over time, I began to cut meat out of my diet and then eventually went full vegan to have no animal products whatsoever, no meat, no dairy, uh, lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, just really kind of going full on in that direction. And that's been six and a half years since then. And it, it just feels fantastic. Like the benefits are amazing. I'm highly energetic. I feel fantastic. It's there's no doubt in my mind, like it is the way that I want to live. And so it's been, yeah, a great journey since then. Well, Jeff, you sure do have that that vibe of energy. You know, having met you at podcast uh, PodFest just a couple of weeks ago, you just emanate energy and, and great vibrations. So you don't eat fish either. Is that right? A true vegan doesn't eat fish. That is correct, yes. Yeah, so so where do you get your energy then? You have to have protein, so how do you make sure that you get the nourishment that you truly need? I know you eat 10 bananas a day. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot uh, you could read in on kind of where nutrients come from, but the, the basics is that you can get all that you need to be very healthy from fruits and vegetables alone. And so if you like, there's enough protein, enough fat, enough carbohydrates, enough calories uh, in those foods that if you eat them, uh, you know, eat them well, you know, like a fresh, raw, healthy food, uh, you will tend to get all that you need. Um, there's a balance that has to be kind of met there to make sure it's healthy. Um, and there's a lot that I'm, I mean, I'm not a doctor by any means, but I know that from my experience that the more of that that I eat, the better I feel. And I get plenty of nutrients from that food without having to use you know, tons of supplements or having to find, you know, bizarre, rare foods to be healthy. Uh, you really can get all you need from the food. Oh, great. Well, I know you're into something else that I find fascinating, and that has to do with your gravity boots. Let's talk about that, <laughs> yeah. your inversion practices. Yeah, I got into inversion probably three years ago, and I have done it a consistently along with my running. It tends to be a great kind of post-run activity. Okay. Uh, so I have this pair of gravity boots, which, you know, to, if you don't know what those are, it's basically there's a, a bar that's attached to the doorframe of my home office. And I have these boots that have these hooks on them. And so I can just put a strap on the boots so around your ankles. And then you literally can just hang yourself from this bar upside down. And then you kind of just like sway back and forth, like five to 10 minutes and the blood rushes to your head. And you kind of, you can do inverted, you know, squats or inverted sit-ups. Uh, there's a lot you can do to actually be uh, just hanging upside down, but getting the benefits of having, uh, you know, everything being shifted in the opposite direction. It does amazing things for your back. Uh, most people that use inversion do so because they have back problems right. and they can't find another solution. And I've definitely seen that after a long run, for example, if I don't do inversion, my back will tighten up and I won't, I'll be very stiff. But if I do inversion afterwards consistently, uh, it's amazing how flexible I feel, how healthy I feel. Uh, it's just, it's, a, it's an amazing practice. Well, it sounds amazing. And, uh, you know, I ask you at, at PodFest, how do you get up into that position? Can you describe that <laughs> for Mindful Tribe? You definitely need uh, some upper body strength to yeah. use gravity boots because you have to basically do a pull-up uh, to swing your, your feet up in the air. And then when you're finished, you have to do the exact thing in the opposite direction to get, you know, get yourself back up to the top right. and get your feet off a little hooks. So it definitely requires upper body strength to use the gravity boots. However, there are other machines like inversion tables and inversion chairs chairs uh, that can be done uh, basically for anybody, like whether you, you could be handicapped and still be able to use these machines because they give you the ability to uh, to do the inversion and get the benefits without having to have all the extra strength. And so you still get the inverted feeling and you're still in a safe environment for that. Well, I've heard that inversion can help keep you young, keep you looking young and feeling young. Well, you sure do look young. I don't know how old you are, but I think the <laughs> inversion is really working here. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it certainly is. I've heard a lot of benefits about not only it make you you get taller as well. Like your body will actually stretch over time if you do it enough. Uh, but it definitely has a lot of benefits in terms of getting blood flow to your head, and you can have you know healthier skin. And there's yeah, there's a lot of, of bizarre things. It's not studied quite enough, I don't think, uh, to prove these things are actually you know scientific. But most people that do inversion, you know, often I will definitely say it helps a lot. So Jeff, when I was putting together your bio, I noticed that you studied acting, you studied theater. Do you find mindfulness in being an actor and in doing theater work? Oh, completely. That's basically all that that is. Uh, when you're on stage, you know, with a group of actors in front of an audience, uh, there is a very clear sense of awareness because the spotlight is on you and everyone's watching you and you have to be completely like hyper aware of what you're doing at all times and to have rehearsed what you're doing well enough that you don't feel nervous in that moment to be able to do what you practice and do it well and do it correctly. And so it, it takes a lot of, of self-awareness to know, you know how you look on stage, how you sound, how you're moving. Uh, it's, it's a full body experience to really be a great actor on a stage or, or on film. Uh, but it's, it's an amazing practice in mindfulness just to kind of rehearse a scene and then do it for an audience and get the feedback and respond in the moment to that, you know, kind of the improv you know, ability of that. It's a very fascinating thing. Yeah, and so are you still an actor? Do you do some acting roles once in a while? I haven't in a while. I probably need to get back to that again. I, I definitely do a lot of speaking engagements now, right. so I'm on stage for that, uh, but not as much with acting as recently. Sure. And so with the speaking, tell us in a little more detail. How do you connect with your audience? How do you make sure that they are really, really you know, into what you're saying and you don't lose them by the end? That's a great question. That audience engagement is definitely a tough one with public speaking because yeah. you want to make sure that you're talking to an audience that you know naturally cares about the topic you're discussing. I think a big part of it is I try to choose engagements where the audience will naturally want to learn about what I'm talking about, and I customize my talks to make sure that I'm relating to them as well. Like I recently spoke to a group of radiologists, and so I had uh, various slides that were directly for their profession, so I could talk to them specifically and then relate my content to their line of work, and that makes them much more engaged naturally from there. And then, of course, beyond that, I, I do as, as much energy as I can. I try to tell jokes whenever I can. I'm not a very good comedian, but you know, you try <laughs> to be as, as, as funny as you can be or as lively as you can be. Uh, and I find that if, if even if they look like they're falling asleep, uh, what I'll find is that after the fact, they really enjoyed the talk. I'll get a lot of positive feedback as long as I kind of bring my A game to that event. Well, I, I talk to lots of people and many of them are very, very mindful, but some of them say, you know, I'm not able to really get what it takes to write a book because that just seems to require so much discipline. How did you pull it off? How did you put that book into place and, and make it reality? Well, my book, The 5A Miracle, was actually pretty easy to write because of one specific thing, which is that I have been talking about these same concepts for years on my podcast. And so I've written blog posts about it. I've done podcast episodes about it. I've written scripts for it. I've talked to a lot of people about it. So I was really well-versed in the material. And so then when I got the book deal, it was like, okay, I already have a ton of content to pick through. It's just a question now of how to organize it intelligently to spell it out into a book. And so I took kind of like all this content that I'd already been discussing and researching, and then I broke it all down into a very simple, just step-by-step -step system. And then just one day at a time, just went through each chapter one, you know, one by one until each chapter was completed. And so it was a very methodical process that I broke into, you know, really small steps over time. 
but because I knew the material well, it wasn't as difficult to jump into it. Um, I've written a book in the past where it was very difficult to write because I was literally learning the material as I was writing the book, uh, which is a way harder process. It takes a lot longer to do that. Uh, so if anything, if you want to do a great book that's easy, uh, stick to a topic you're very well familiar with. Right. That makes sense. Jeff, you mentioned you got married about seven years ago. Tell us what kind of mindfulness is required to pull off a successful marriage and have a great communication with your, with your mate. Well, I think you hit hit the nail on the head right there with communication. That's what it's all about. I think that listening and being aware of what your partner needs is everything. And so for me and with my wife, it's just, I have to know how she feels today, what she's up to today, and ask a lot of questions and actually listen to her answer, yeah. uh, which sounds pretty obvious, but it, it, it's tough in the moment when, you know, I have my own thing going on, my own goals for the day. And so to be able to balance that with hers, it, it takes a real sense of, you know, of, of awareness to know like what she's up to and, and to genuinely care about that. And then if I do that often enough and well enough, it's not hard to maintain a good marriage. It's just about, you know, that constant daily activity of being, you know, just asking very simple and and genuine questions. And then you, from there, I think things work out pretty well. Right, right. And so if you do run into a conflict, then where do you go? I know you listen. I know you talk to her. You find out how she feels. Do you have any more tips? Uh, conflict is tough because it depends on what the issue is, but I know that in the past, uh, for me, generally speaking, if there's conflict, like for some reason or another, it's, it's my fault. Like I'm usually the culprit of the problem, or at least I can acknowledge the fact that it could be my fault. And so if I own the problem, if I own the fact that there is a difficulty, it's much easier to solve from there because I'm not just pointing fingers at somebody else. And so for me, it's really about owning the problem and asking myself, like, what can I do to solve this? How can we resolve this quickly and easily? And generally speaking, that means that I need to take, take that on myself to solve the problem. So I know you've spoken to many audiences. So how do you go about getting those audiences and getting your word out there that you are able to do talks and and that you'd like to do more speaking? Well, in terms of marketing, my podcast has been kind of the the best thing in the world for my brand. It's my podcast is what led to my book deal. It's what led to speaking engagements, coaching clients. Uh, people find the show, and then when they listen to me, they either know me, like me, trust me, something along the lines. Things work out well, and they want to stay a fan of the show. And so, because of that, it's easy to then have them. They'll they'll send me an email and say, "Hey, can you come speak at our event?" And so for me, that's the best possible lead in the world to get the word out. Um, if I do kind of a direct connection and ask somebody who I don't know, it's much harder to get someone who doesn't know you at all to say yes to you for anything. Uh, but if they know you well from, you know, from my, my podcast is a good example of that. They know me from that show. Uh, it's very easy for them to know why they would want to say yes to me for whatever the reason would be. So I think if anything, podcasting is just, you know, an amazing thing. So with your podcast, I want to know what pops into your mind. What were were some of the most interesting, memorable experiences with some of your podcast guests that you've interviewed? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, I've had quite a few guests that I have interviewed that I didn't know who they were. In fact, I would say most of my guests I interview, I know of them, but I don't know them personally. And so for me, it's it's always kind of this guessing game of what what are they going to say? You know, even, even right now talking to you, Bruce, it's sure. like, 
you know, you don't know what I'm going to say to answer the question. I think I find that to be fascinating because when I'm having a conversation with someone I don't know, I learn a ton about that person and then it keeps the conversation lively. And I find that that's kind of like that, that mystery of what's going to happen with the interview uh, keeps the show very interesting to me. And I, I love to bring on guests that have a wide variety of backgrounds and experiences, mostly because it's just, I think it's fascinating personally. And then because of that, if, if I genuinely care about that, uh, the conversation is a lot more fun and then it, it can kind of go anywhere that point. And I love that. And so for me, that's, that's what the, what the aspect of doing interviews to me makes a lot of sense on my shows because they can bring value to the show that I can't by myself. And it's great to have kind of their history and their fun stories. Yeah, sure. And I've noticed the same, like with, you know, sometimes I get on an interview, I don't know the person and I, and I just kind of wonder, you know, what's this going to be like? And then I find out, wow, this is really, really interesting to find out some of the background of the person and what they were like as a kid, for example, or what led them into the life they have today. So what were you like as a kid, Jeff? What led you <laughs> to the place that you've, you've arrived at? Uh, well, I was, you know, I'm the firstborn in my family. I'm kind of a very typical type A high achiever kid. Like I was one of those that I was, you know, for a long time, like I was up early as a kid doing a lot of stuff over involved in activities. You know, I was very much just like doing everything I possibly could to be busy 24 yeah. seven. Um, I got lucky when I was probably like what, 13 or 14, I got into a good group of friends that was doing a lot of theater, which is why it led me to doing a lot of that and then majoring that in college. And so for me, like most of my upbringing as a, as a teenager, especially was doing a lot of theater, hanging out with a lot of you know fun people and doing a lot of acting. And so kind of my background was doing just a lot of that because my friends were doing it and I thought it was a lot of fun. And so that's basically how that whole thing came to be. So through all those years, were you ever bullied? I've worked in this field for quite a while, so I always ask this question. Do you ever remember any times where you were bullied or someone else was and you stood up for them or anything like that? Um, it's a good question. I think that when I was younger, probably I would say in elementary school, maybe like age, like seven to 10, yeah. um, I was not quite confident as a kid yet. I was still trying to figure out who I was. In fact, for a lot of, a lot of my years growing up, I viewed myself as a follower very much. So like I would find other people who I thought were a strong personality or someone that could, you know, hold their own and I would follow them around. And in the process of that, I think I, I got a hold of some pretty like difficult friends, I guess you could yeah. say or friends that just, they weren't, um, they weren't genuine friends. They were just kind of these bullies, these kind of these tough guys. And so, and I wasn't, I was a very small, scrawny, skinny little kid. And I just, I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. So if anything, now I wouldn't call it, maybe it wasn't bullying in the traditional sense, but it definitely was the sense that I felt inferior to them all the time. Okay. And it took a long time before I felt like that wasn't the case anymore. Uh, but this, yeah, for many years though, I think I was definitely in this position of, I don't know who I am yet. And so I'm just going to follow somebody else to figure it out eventually. So what do you think was the turning point when you got into to high school and got into more and more acting? Actually, theater was a big part of it and also uh, sports. I did a, played a lot of soccer when I got into junior high and high school. And so I think as I got like physically bigger and stronger, uh, I felt a lot more confident from that. And then, of course, the just the personal self-confidence from being on a stage and acting. Uh, I found my, a, a very sweet spot in that in that arena because I felt like I was good at that. I found things that I was excelling in. And once I had that, I, I could hold my own then because I felt like I owned a place in the world that was that was mine and I was good at it. So I felt good about that. So what are some of the best roles you've, you've pulled off on stage? Some of the most memorable. 
Uh, I think the the top of my head, I can think of my senior year of high school. I was the lead in the Taming of the Shrew, uh, mm-hmm. the Shakespeare show where I was Petruchio. And uh, it was a super tough role because I had to memorize over 200 lines of Shakespearean dialogue. Yeah. And that is some tough stuff to memorize and tough to deliver. And I wouldn't say that I, I did an excellent job, but I, it definitely was an excellent challenge. And it really caused me to stretch. And I just, you know, being the lead in the show is always fun. Uh, but beyond that, it was just this having to kind of own the whole production as my own. Cause I, you know, being the lead, it's like, it really is your show in a lot of ways. And so that was, that for me was a really big moment. And uh, even look back at, you know, years later, it was still just a, a very great, great experience to have. Wow. Yeah. And you would learn so much from playing that role as well, I'm sure. Oh, certainly. I mean, there's a lot that you learn in every role that you do. I mean, being another, you know, to portray another character, to be somebody else, uh, you learn more about yourself in the process as you try to like, you know, embody someone else's physicality or mannerisms. And it's, it's a very interesting experience. And so I think that if anything, I find that, you know, doing improv games or just any kind of acting in life in general, uh, makes, you know, makes me feel better. I feel more fun and more energetic. And I feel like I, I know myself better by being somebody else. I know myself better by being somebody else. I think that's that's a very mindful comment. Thanks for sharing that. Jeff, so what are you working on now? Uh, well, recently I have launched a productivity academy. It's called the Rockin' Productivity Academy. And so basically it's a, an online membership where I get to share kind of more in-depth information about productivity and help uh, mostly my podcast listeners who've joined up uh, to figure out ways to achieve their life's biggest goals. That's really the focus of it is taking very busy people who have a lot on their plate and figuring out how can you manage all that you're trying to do, but more importantly, uh, get those really big things done. Oh, that sounds great. So how can Mindful Tribe learn more about that? Uh, That's available at rockinproductivity.com. I launch that every few months. And so right now there's a waiting list for it. But all you got to do is hop on that email list and you'll get uh, a quick update whenever it launches next. Jeff, I'm going to ask you five quick answer questions. Here's the first one. Can you name one person who has influenced your mindfulness in your life? Ooh, um, I would actually would say Dean Carnassus. He's a very famous ultra marathon runner who is extremely good at running. And I've learned a lot from him about running, which then in turn, I learned a ton about mindfulness. So I think he was a big influence there. So how has mindfulness affected your emotions, Jeff? Ooh, I think if, if anything there, mindfulness has made me less over, o- less overtly emotional, like less angry or less uh, extreme. I think if anything, it calms me down and allows me to be more rational. Yeah, that makes sense. Tell us how breathing might be part of your mindfulness practice. Breathing is a big part of it. I think especially, you know, as as an athlete and someone who likes to, you know, have a lot of good oxygen to, to live and to and do things well, I find that also breathing a lot or breathing really intensely uh, also calms me down and prepares me for an event. Like before a speaking engagement, for example, I do a lot of breathing techniques to get, like, give my self-confidence to be boosted up and to physically feel better. And what's one of those breathing techniques? Can you share it with Mindful Tribe? Uh, this is one I stole from a guy named Wim Hof, who is very famously known as the Iceman. And right. so what I do is a lot of intense breathing where you kind of you inhale more than you exhale over and over again, basically until you feel lightheaded, but you're kind of oxygen packing your body for a few minutes. And uh, it really does give you this really strong sense of confidence and you feel just very awake and alert. Uh, it's pretty cool. That is cool. And did you take the Wim Hof method? Did you study that or did you read it in a book? Where'd you learn it? 
I have, and this was actually, I saw a documentary about it and I watched, uh, no, and I read a, an article about it. I have not yet bought his course and I, I plan to do that very soon. Uh, but I've learned a lot from watching of him and other areas, uh, that I utilize some of the strategies he teaches for free online. Uh, but yeah, diving into that more deeply, be a lot of fun. Yeah. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be? And I want you to mention your own book and then possibly another one as well. Uh, sure. Uh, the book, my own book is The 5 a.m. Miracle, uh, a book that I have read about meditation. Actually, it was a book I read probably a few years ago now. Uh, it's called Running with a Mind of Meditation. That's uh, by a guy named Sakyong Mipham, which is a crazy fun name. Uh, but his book is all about how to run and meditate at the same time. And because he was a, a Buddhist monk for many years and then became a marathon runner. And he explores kind of how those two things are, you know, inter intertangled there. And I haven't uh, had a guest recommend that book before, so that's that's really great. And, of course, I will be putting all of this into the show notes. So, Mindful Tribe, you can go on, you can download the book and check it out. So, Jeff, do you have an app? Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? And it could be a, like a productivity app. It could be any kind of an app that kind of helps you get more focused and feel more grounded. Yeah, I mean, the app that I use most often every single day is one called Nozbe. That's N-O-Z-B-E. That's a, a task management app. And so I use that for all of my tasks every single day to know what I'm doing next. It's the one that I, I lean on literally all day, every day to do all my work. Uh, so it's extremely important to me. Uh, it's based on David Allen's Getting Things Done system. So it's a, a simple like list-based system that has your whole life in one place, and it can really kind of organize your life in a very efficient way. Cool. So... How can Mindful Tribe reach out to you and connect with you, learn more about what you do, Jeff? Yeah, my, my website is jeffsanders.com. It's the place to find everything I'm working on. Uh, my podcast, The 5 a.m. Miracle, is on iTunes, and my book, The 5 a.m. Miracle, is on Amazon. All right, well, we'll check all of that out. It's been great talking with you. It was awesome talking with you personally at PodFest, and I just wish you have a great rest of your day. Well, thank you, Bruce. Okay, take care, Jeff. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.